0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're playing a game we're going to call Truth or Lie, Star Trek Novel Edition. And joining me are returning guests, Kirsta and Kevin. Welcome, Kirsta. Hello. And thank you for joining us, Kevin. Hello. So glad to have you both on. Kirsten, you are a very regular guest on the podcast, so I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar, familiar with you. Kevin, we've only had you on twice, which seems criminally underutilized. Your your talents have been criminally underutilized on this podcast so far, so we're going to have to have you on more frequently.
1: <laughs> I, I want to have a witty rejoinder to that, but I do not.
0: <laughs> so the game Star Trek or or truth or lie star Trek novel edition is going to be a variation on the truth or lie anime edition that we played a little while ago with uh guest Norman at that point. And that was where we took the titles of existing anime series that none of us had ever watched. And, Uh, Each of us took a turn to read a title of a series, the real summary, a very brief version of what that series was about. And then a made up version and everyone else had guessed which one was real and which one was fake. Now we're going to be playing that game with the titles of Star Trek novels, which it turns out we could really do this game because there are so many Star Trek novels out there in the world. Um, the list I saw had over 800 titles at present and you know, there are more coming very frequently. Um, a little bit of trivia about this. So the first Star Trek novel was in 1967. They have never stopped since then. Um, And these novels include series that are based on every single television version of Star Trek. But also there are like, spinoff series of new characters and new starships and new storylines that are going to get their own little book line. Most of those don't go nearly or run nearly as frequently or print nearly as frequently as like the Star Trek, the original series book series or Star Trek, the next generation. Um, But the core ones are of course the original series, the next generation and then deep space nine and Voyager. And I believe they've started up some on the more recent streaming series of Star Trek, uh, but there's just been less time to engage with those. Uh, Kirstie or Kevin, how much have either of you, uh, and we can obviously take turns in a second. I realize throwing it to both of you is a little awkward. So let's start with Kirstie. How much have you ever engaged with Star Trek novelizations?
2: I have read one Star Trek novel in my life, which was loaned to me by a classmate in middle school and I liked it fine, but I really wasn't interested in reading more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that—that's a perfectly valid reaction to have. Of course, <laughs> yeah, there's there's too much media out there to, to to just say I must keep reading this because it exists. And, and if you did that for Star Trek novels, you would never stop reading them.
2: And truthfully, I might be I might be more inclined to read um, Star Trek fan fiction than I would to read a Star Trek novel. Um, and, you oh. know, and not and not because of like scandalous content or anything. Just like. I don't know. The novel was kind of boring, the one that I read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you said you liked it fine. I liked now it we know fine. what that means. That's code for it. <laughs> I liked it fine. Oh. <laughs> Kevin, what is your experience with Star Trek novels?
1: Uh, so, definitely the most experience I've had was in preparation for this podcast, but it's not the onlyest experience. Um, I was at my in law's place. Uh, some years ago. It might have been my girlfriend's parents' place at that point. I don't remember anymore. And there was a novel on their bookshelf that had a picture of uh, Patrick Stewart on it. And then I think it had a picture of Wolverine on it, but I'm not not 100% on that. But it was clear to me that the X-Men were in this Star Trek book. So I turned to a random page, and sure enough, there was Jean-Luc Picard having a conversation with Wolverine. And i wow. went, awesome. These books have crossed the threshold of awesome. <laughs> and that's why I haven't read one for, you know, a decade since then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've read that one. I believe it is called Planet X. Nice. Does, that, that might does... be the last Star Trek novel I've read. So in my teenage years, I read quite a few. The local library trips would often involve grabbing a whole bunch of Star Trek novels. But it's probably been 20 plus years since I've read one. Uh, and I've got to be honest. Reading through some of these summaries, I was like, "That sounds kind of intriguing. <laughs> I, I might not mind <laughs> going going back to that pool."
2: So, wait does does Captain Picard interact with Professor X at all?
0: Whoa!
2: I know, right? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm trying to remember this would have been 20, 25 years ago that I read this, this novel. I remember storming in it and I remember Wolverine being in it, but I am not sure about Professor X. This definitely would have pre- predated the X-Men films.
2: Oh, that's fair. So, so it wouldn't have been yeah. as much of a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
0: Yes. It, now it is. It, it's right. a retroactive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nudge, nudge. Uh, but at the time it would not have been, uh, but no, I, I can't remember a, about that interaction. Uh, And we're not going to deal with this as well. But it's worth noting, if you are a fan of Star Trek, there are also hundreds of comic books you can read. Uh, This is a franchise that has been uh, adapted into many different storytelling mediums. Uh, But for this game, we're going to play four rounds in which each of us have prepared, again, that that title of a real Star Trek novel. And then we'll read off two one-paragraph-long summaries. And then the other two of us will guess which one is real and which one is fake. If we correctly guess the fake one, we get a point. Uh, or no, wait, if, we, if we correctly guess the real one, whoever guesses the real one gets the point. If anyone guesses the fake one, the person who wrote the fake summary gets a point in that round. And we'll, we will keep a tally. Last time we played this game, I fared poorly in I remember that. every single round. Uh, I could not find any strategy <laughs> to try and crack the code of anime, truth or lie. We're going to see how this goes.
2: Um, at at one point, I think you tried to shoot the moon and do as badly as possible, Joe, and then you started getting them right.
0: (laughs) I I do remember vividly, there was one round where someone had gotten it right. It was Norman, our guest had gotten it right every round in his guesses, and I was able to go right after him. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to follow him. And then he was (laughs) wrong that round.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Joe, I have to ask, have I hamstrung the podcast? I only wrote false summaries for the books I brought to the table. Have I ruined everything?
0: You're supposed to have your your yeah, no, no, no. No, yeah. you did it right. Yeah, you, you did it right. You're you're gonna okay. read a title and then you're gonna read the two summaries and then Kirsten and I will guess for for that. And then oh, okay, Kirsten good,
1: good, out. okay. That was my yeah. understanding, but I just I just went no, through a moment. You were not of asking, cold right,
0: 12 just just for four summaries, not twelve fake summaries.
1: Okay, well that's okay. All right. I'm just I'm just relieved. I was gonna pretend I had connectivity issues
0: and, <laughs> and now, all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> or, or wait, my newborn's crying. I, I gotta oh, go. Oh, guys. guys,
1: I'm a new father. I gotta go.
0: See, so <laughs> you're, you're a new enough father. You don't know that that's your go-to excuse right now. From here on out. Oh, my kid. Yeah. I can't. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: I, was, I would I <laughs> would guess which one of those is right, but my kid. I. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, well, I am going to choose a random object to use.
2: Why don't we just use a random number generator?
0: I pulled
1: up code. a random number generator to decide if I was going to give my true or my false summaries first. So that Ooh, way... also,
0: also, because we never have? <laughs> 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 no, I like this. All right, Kevin, you got a random number generator up. Put it one through three. Kirsten, uh, yeah. yeah. you're number one. Kevin, you're mm-hmm. number two. I'll be number three. Whichever number okay. comes hey, up hey, first. I can
1: Who? put our names in. This Wait, is what? What? Dot Madness.
0: what witchcraft have you introduced into this podcast, Kevin?
1: But then, of course, um, it's filtered through me, so you'll have to question <laughs> if I'm being honorable in my execution.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, give us an order here.
1: Kirsta, then Joe, then me. Kay. Which All is right. actually the order I put them in, too. Way to go, random.org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Kirsta will, <laughs> will read uh, her first uh, title and two summaries.
2: okay. The title is Stowaway. Do we want the author as well?
0: Uh, let, let's do that at the end. You know, okay. I hate to know their their style and their themes they explore and have <laughs> <laughs> that.
2: That's very honorable. Okay. Yeah. Stowaway summary one. Jake Sisko and his best friend Nog make plans to sneak aboard a shuttle Dr. Bashir is piloting down to Bajor. The boys expect to have a great time as they secretly follow the doctor around and see the sights of Sakelo City. But what they see terrifies them as they watch the doctor being kidnapped. Finding the doctor in the Bajoran wastelands is only part of their problem. Jake and Nog have to rescue Dr. Bashir from an army of killers without getting captured themselves. All right. Summary number two. Stowaway. Chief O'Brien and Major Kira are back from an uneventful Delta Quadrant shuttle trip to pick up some Sobranian ore. However, they discover a ragged and malnourished young girl hiding in the cargo. Oda wants to send her back. Kira is reminded of the mistreated children she knew in the detention camps. When the Sobranian High Chamber declares that their empress has been kidnapped, Sisko will have to strike a delicate balance to maintain peace between the Delta and Alpha
0: Quadrants. Oh, there's some good specificity in both of those. Hmm. <laughs> Alright, so I think I'll guess first on this one and then uh Kevin, you'll you'll guess uh second. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Kirsta I'm gonna go with your second plot summary. Alright, Kevin, Noted. what's yours?
1: Here's my problem. The second plot summary sounds like delicate and political and interesting. So I cannot believe that is the correct one. I believe that Kirsta wrote that. I'm choosing the first plot summary.
2: <laughs> um Kevin's analysis is correct.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> oh no. my, my, my system or my, part, my tradition is, is carrying a on.
1: a stupid plot that I had to assume it was that one. <laughs> I'm going
0: to say, they both sounded plausible enough to exist in Star Trek <laughs> stories.
2: <laughs> I, I I did have a problem where I kept... Writing Cisco as Picard, and I'm just like, what are even his personality characteristics? Because everything just comes up Picard for me. Okay.
0: All right. So after uh, Kirsten's first round, you each have one point, and I have zero. Uh, tradition now
2: we're done. Congratulations. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Go, my son.
0: My first novel is titled "The Big Game." Not the most dangerous game. That's a different thing. <laughs> Quark is hosting a poker tournament on Deep Space Nine, and he has invited the best gamblers from many different races, including Cardassians, Romulans, Klingons, Vulcans, humans, and Ferengi. The game is high stakes to begin with, but when one of the players is killed, the stakes are raised. Also, the killer may hold key information that can save Deep Space Nine from being destroyed by erratic subspace waves.
2: (laughs) Of course he can. It's always the B plot.
0: Or... When Benjamin Sisko books time on the Suite to recreate a classic American baseball game, he invites the senior staff to join his team and bond over sports. But his team-building exercise turns out to have major ramifications for the Federation. After mysterious transmission from the wormhole turns out to contain a sentient computer program, the program takes uh, the place of the opposing team on the Suite and attempts to negotiate with Cisco through the strategy of baseball while also threatening the life support systems on the station. Will Sisko be able to deduce the demands of this new intelligence, or will the crew of DS9 strike out
1: oh my my gosh gosh. oh my gosh
0: so Kevin you've got to guess first
1: Uh, that this one is much tougher because both of those plots are deeply stupid (laughs) (laughs) Um, the one that seems like it cannot possibly be some like something someone would get paid to write is the second one so I'm gonna assume that the second one is the correct summary because it's so implausible
2: (laughs) I am agreeing with Kevin for largely the same reasons.
0: I made up the second summary.
1: Oh, no, no. I'm no, in the no, lead, guys!
0: No, I'm no, in the no, lead of no, no. the truth or lie game! I think this is the first time in my life of <laughs> <laughs> being in, in the lead of this game, so I'm going to run the little. Yes, thank <laughs> you for playing. Uh, Andrew, where's the outro? Let's uh, <laughs> run that.
1: <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask random.org if I want to lie or tell the truth first.
0: Tell us your, your response that you get. <laughs> I
1: will right now. Um, okay. First novel we're doing is How Much for Just the Planet? First summary. The Enterprise encounters the planet Werelock, excuse me, we're talk. when an instrument malfunction leaves them stranded in Klingon space. Kirks, Bach, and McCoy negotiate their way through a planet people by a humanoid race that is obsessed with money and materialism. Having little of value to offer, Spock suggests the unthinkable, that they sell crew members into a brief period of indentured servitude in order to trade their way up to the necessary supplies to repair the Enterprise. McCoy is scandalized by the suggestion, and Kirk ultimately suggests that the three of themselves sell themselves to the aliens on this planet in order to save the ship. Kirk's self-sacrifice so impresses Scotty that he rededicates himself to research and finally repairs the Starship's engine, so no one needs to sell themselves to anyone. Second summary. Large deposits of dilithium are detected on a colony planet, and delegations are sent by the United Federation of Planets and Klingon Empire to negotiate for mining rights. They find the planet Dereidi and its inhabitants to be very strange indeed. Planet inhabitants occasionally break into song to explain their narratives or seemingly attack the visitors. Both crews get into various adventures with the planet's inhabitants and each other. In the end, it turns out that the inhabitants have set everything up according to Plan C, comedy. All of the adventures the two crews encountered were designed to soften them up so they wouldn't mind the whole planet, but would be willing to work with the inhabitants and each other.
2: And what was the title of this again? How
1: Much for Just the Planet.
0: Now, Kevin, I appreciated one of your strategies to struggle over a made-up planet name that <laughs> one of them you had to have made up yourself. I know what you- I'm doing. I know what you <laughs> doing. You stumbled in both summaries, so it's not really a tell for us.
1: Uh
2: I am going to go with number two as the true one, the comedy one.
0: Hmm. See, that one, I don't know. I'm getting sucked into Kevin's strategy of that one sounded just too far, so it must be the real one. But is he sending us down that path? To throw us off the scent of his own summaries. He, he might be playing three-dimensional chess with us right now, Kirsta. So I'm going to split <laughs> this and choose the first summary as the real one.
1: The correct summary was the second one. Yes! Oh, no! Fancy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: that's so terrible.
1: And that was a tough one to write up against, because it's like, <laughs> it already yeah. looked like something yeah. I would write if I was just BSing a uh, plot line.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, I was I was wondering about including so much song in a book, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not read Lord of the Rings, Joe? Well, I was about to say uh, <laughs> Name of the Wind, also, right? Very song centric.
2: <laughs> okay, is it me again?
0: Uh, yes, I think we're back around. So, uh, well, after we've each gone once, oh, yes, yeah. we are tied two to two to two.
2: Wow! Oh snap! And now we're done. No. Okay. I'm doing Q strike. That's my, that's my next one. The galactic barrier has fallen and Q's oldest enemy is free. Once more, captain Picard and his crew find themselves in the middle of a cosmic war between vastly powerful entities. The future of the Federation may be at stake, but how can mere mortals turn the tide in such a superhuman battle? Picard has to find a way or neither the Q continuum nor the galaxy will survive. Uh, summary number two, Q Strike. The Q Continuum exists outside of time, space, and all higher dimensions, but to get their news, the Q rely on barely sentient creatures called Quzies. However, when Q Continuum <laughs> bigwig Joseph Kulitzer decides to cut the Quzies' wages, the humble creatures go on strike, which turns out to involve a surprising amount of choreographed dancing. Now their charismatic leader, Christian Quayle, must convince the Continuum to agree to the QZ's demands before it's too late.
0: just <laughs> sure. stop listening for a second. Kevin, did that second one sound familiar to you? <laughs> I, maybe I've seen that episode of Star I don't know. No, no. okay. All right.
1: Um. <laughs> I almost want to give her the point in a meta way because she deserves it.
0: <laughs> QZs? Like like Q-Z's, I wasn't there yet. <laughs> Joseph Kulitzer. <laughs> that that was that was a tipping point, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have to say I was I picked Q Strike and then suddenly I was like, what if they went on strike? And then it just kind of came from there. So, you know. <laughs>
0: um I'm gonna go with the first. <laughs> Summary. Uh, uh, I'm, yourself. I'm
1: also gonna go with the first. I want to uh I want to win.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm not sure how you I'm not sure how you figured it out, but somehow you both figured out that the first one was the real one.
0: <laughs> now I adore Q episodes. like I I love Q episodes of mm-hmm. Star Trek the Next Generation, and there is an element of whimsy that is always very playful and fun for the viewer. I don't know that they ever quite went that far. I mean, okay, Q <laughs> and Robin Hood happened, right? right that, that was right. one. Uh but but Q and Newsies, I don't think that was ever on the drawing board.
2: Well, when, when Disney buys Star Trek as well, then we'll finally see the uh Star Trek Newsies crossover that we've all been waiting for.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to piece together a gag. I'm like, it was directed by CUNY or Te Q? I can't I can't quite get it. <laughs>
1: From now on, I will view all media of any kind as being Star Trek shenanigans, be it holodeck or Q shenanigans. Now,
0: Newt C3 <laughs> right. is now
1: in the right. Star Trek universe.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, it's hard to follow that one up, uh, but <laughs> but here we go. I'm going to be doing: Do comets dream on the planet Thanet? The people believe that every 5,000 years, their civilization is almost uh, entirely wiped out, and the few survivors must rebuild it. The Deathbringer is approaching, and they know their end is near. But Captain Picard and the crew of the Enterprise realize that is merely a rogue comet that is going to pass close enough to the planet to disrupt the ecosystem. They could easily destroy this comet. But will saving the planet, the Thanets—sorry, the Thanet civilization—actually destroy it if he is disrupting their foundational mythology? And this problem becomes more complex when Deanna Troy senses emotions from the comet, implying it may be sentient. Or on the Romulan warbird. Akilifer, the Captain Cato is carrying out a stealth mission, sneaking into Federation space using their cloaking technology. The Enterprise's sensors are picking up a strange echo pattern that they cannot pin down. Kirk orders the crew to focus their efforts in solving this mystery, but they're having little luck. Soon, Cato seizes on a moment when a rogue comet will be passing by and disrupt the Enterprise's sensors, and he launches an attack. Though damaged, the Enterprise is able to retreat, but they know they're being hunted by an unseen enemy. Inexplicably, though, the comet changes course, almost as if chose to do so, and its radiation damages the Achillifers cloaking technology, giving the Enterprise a chance at victory. Goodness. Hmm. So, I think this might be one of the first times we have two different franchise (laughs) options. (laughs) And what was the title again? It was Do Comets Dream. Oh, darn it.
1: I thought it was Deathbringer, and that was having me lead toward the first one. But if it's Duke Comet's dream, now it's it's up in the air for me again. Who goes first? Who's guessing first? Am I guessing first? Yeah, yes, you Kevin, you'll be first I on call. this round. I've forgotten the order. Okay. Um, this is a toughie. This is a toughie. Because um, both of those seem like Star Trek stories to me. Um. I was leaning toward the first because my brain had retitled the piece Deathbringer, and that was more appropriate (laughs) to, you know, the first one that had that word in it. Um, So hesitantly, I'm going to pick the first one.
2: I am going to go with the second.
0: Kevin gets the point for this round. No! So I was left with the question at the end of that when reading the brief summary, if that comet is in fact alive and it finds out that an entire civilization has been calling it the death bringer for thousands of years, is it going to feel bad? Is that going to hurt its sense of self?
2: (laughs) I don't know. That's why we need an empathic (laughs) ship's counselor an empathic (laughs) comment.
0: Yeah.
1: Ask ask him the big questions here.
0: That's right. (laughs) Yes. That's really what it's trying to get down to. (laughs)
1: Okay, um, my turn to read summaries, yeah? Yes. Okay. This one is called Ishmael. First summary. Spock travels back to the time and place of Here Comes the Brides, an ABC television series from the 1960s. Spock discovers a Klingon plot to destroy the Federation by killing Aaron Stemple before Stemple could thwart an attempted 19th century alien invasion of Earth. During most of the story, Spock has lost his memory and is cared for by Stemple, who passes him off as his nephew, Ishmael, and helps him hide his alien origins. Spock identifies one of the women in the story as likely to be one of his ancestors on his mother's side.
0: (laughs) I'd like a chance to process that all before you give us (laughs) another potential summary, because there was a lot in that plot. (laughs) (laughs) so 1960s tv show one of spock's ancestors on his mother's side okay all right ishmael all right that, that all fits with the title ishmael obviously let's hear the second option though
1: second summary dr mccoy's nephew ishmael is a troubled youth who is eventually brought on board the enterprise to learn from his uncle's example this does not go well at first as ishmael finds himself harassing and chasing all the female crew members aboard the ship McCoy asks Kirk to give Ishmael a heart-to-heart, but before this can take place, the Enterprise is accosted by an aggressive species of space-faring plants, the Leffel. During the attack, Kirk appears to be killed by the creatures, but it is soon revealed that this was a hallucination. Dr. McCoy was having... Wow, what did I do there? My formatting <laughs> was. Dr. McCoy was hallucinating after experimenting with a new alien drug. Dr. McCoy wakes up in Thick Bay, and when he asks for his nephew, the crew explains to him that no one named Ishmael has ever been aboard the ship.
0: Ooh. Okay. Wow. Wow. There's There's a lot in both of these. I don't know which is less believable that there'd be a whole like 1960s TV show plot line or that someone would think having Kirk talk to someone about their womanizing ways would be a good idea.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they really thought that through.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. well, um, well Kirstie, You get the pleasure of choosing yeah. the real summary here.
2: I am going to go with number one as the real summary.
0: I am going to go with number two as the real summary.
1: The real summary was in fact, number one. Yes. Now there's no right way to hit a woman famously from (laughs) Captain Kirk. He's already tried to address, uh, you know, a hormone addled young man. um, but the real gimme should have been I would never look up a TV show from the nineteen sixties to do research.
2: <laughs> <laughs> So was this published in the sixties?
1: Uh this was published uh it was the eighties, all mine are from the eighties. Oh,
2: okay. I was just wondering if it was something that would have been contemporary to, to be like if people would have known the show at the time if the show would have been on. But
1: well, I, I feel like it's the sort of deal like with Ready Player One where the author's really nostalgic for their own childhood. Sure. And so, so,
2: so at least they're writing at a time when a lot of people would have been familiar with that show. I think so.
0: Is it a real show or did they make that up? That's the other question I have.
2: Uh, I, I trimmed their summary
1: quite a bit. Based on their description, I think it was a real show. But again, I couldn't be bothered to do one second of research. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That was... The, you, you had me there. I did, I did not hear the title Ishmael and reach all of the places that those plots took me. Both the real <laughs> and the fake one. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, after uh, round two, Kirsta, you, you put yourself in a little bit of a hole with your QZ plot, but I think okay. it was worth it. It was worth uh, it. So You have three points, I have four points, and Kevin has five points. So a little oh. bit of a separ- separation is happening now.
2: I All right. Uh, Kirsten. let's see how you do here. Okay. Um... Let's see. So this is Second Nature. The residents of Kalampari Prime have a unique symbiotic relationship with their planet. It provides them with everything they need for a perfect life, as well as keeping them eternally young. Despite living in this paradise, a young woman named Kalema has always dreamed of traveling the stars. But when Kalema falls in love with a Federation envoy named Will Riker, she must decide if choosing love is worth choosing death.
0: I mean, my only question was, is it going to be Kirker Riker? Which one are we (laughs) we going to have here?
2: (laughs) All right. Second Nature Summary 2. Desperate to stay one step ahead of its rivals, the Federation sends a starship to plumb the secrets of a vast region known as the Taurus Reach. Drawn by mysterious energy readings to a lush green world, the crew find the Tomol, a species whose members all commit ritual suicide just as they reach the cusp of adulthood. The crew wants to save the Tomol from their cycle of self-destruction, but first they'll need to save themselves from the most nefarious Klingon starship commander in history.
0: Hmm. Those both felt fairly Star (laughs) Trek-y. Yeah, yeah, I I can think of a couple from kind of Fountain of Youth uh type episodes uh, oh man okay I think I'm gonna choose your first summary though that's I'm gonna go with that one
1: the first one does have Will Riker as a sexual tyrannosaurus <laughs> but the thing is if I'm trying to fake a Star Trek plot that's one of the first places I would go The second one, however, the fact that it didn't name or detail the Klingon commander, except that could be either Kirsta stopping her writing, or it could just be whoever's giving the summary just stops summarizing. So I think I am going to go with Riker as a sex object, number one.
2: And you both lose. Oh! (laughs) Kirsten ties cabin for the lead. (laughs) You played
0: Um, to our familiarity with Star Trek tropes.
2: (laughs) one of the one of the tricky things was that this is actually not a next generation book it's like some spin-off, whatever so i had to write it and just be like they send the starship you know that one and they have the crew but it's actually like a completely different starship i just had to write it like to, to edit it to sort of obfuscate that and i don't think they name the uh klingon sub commander or the klingon starship commander anyway hooray
1: hooray <laughs>
0: All right, well, well, you got us. So that, that does uh, put you at five points tied for the lead with Cavan there.
1: It's on now.
0: <laughs> All right, The Three-Minute Universe is our next title. The Three-Minute Universe. Data has asked Jordi to program a new Holoduck mystery for him to solve in the role of Sherlock Holmes. Jordi decides to test Data's powers of observation by only allowing him three minutes to walk through a crime scene, at which point data is returned to 22 B Baker street, where he must solve the mystery from his memory and deductions that he can make from the clues he saw while the program is running. The enterprise passes through a rip in space time into a realm of godlike beings called the Colendors. One of the Colin no Cullendors. One of the Cullendors <laughs> witnesses, Geordi and data's holodeck routine and unsticks them from time. Geordi and data then witness a cascading series of catastrophes, destroy the enterprise and uh, that the, the Uh, sorry, destroy the enterprise in a three minute span. The Kalendonor then deposits Jordan data back on the enterprise with just enough time to stop the tragedy they witnessed. If they can only solve the sequence in which it happened or the sackers are among the most despised species the Federation has ever encountered. They are physically hideous, but that is matched by their violent, immoral, unscrupulous actions the Sackers commit genocide on a scientifically advanced species to obtain a new weapon, but when they use it, they open a rip in space-time through which another universe is leaking. Captain Kirk must stop this universe from spilling through the tear or our universe will be destroyed.
2: And what's uh, the name of this? What's the title The Three-Minute Universe. The Three-Minute Universe.
1: Because the first one is so heavy with Star Trek tropes, that it raises the same flags as as the previous set. Um, uh, and here's the thing. Number two sounds like an episode of Star Trek that I would watch. Um, and based on... Because the three-minute universe is a compelling title. And uh, based on the level of disappointment I feel between the three-minute universe being the episode title and then... I know these are books, but then we, we watch... A Sherlock Holmes holodeck thing and then we do a Groundhogs Day thing where they have to <laughs> save the ship. Like based on how disappointed I would be with that being the correct answer, that is the one I choose.
2: So sorry, you picked the you picked the I'm Sherlock the Holmes one because you were the, disappointed.
1: Yeah, the Sherlock Holmes Groundhog's Day. I'm picking that one based on my disappointment.
2: Hmm. I mean, I can stick with Kevin, and then we'll be the same score. Um,
0: it's a shrewd way to play the game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're not playing the cards; you're playing the other people. Um, I am going to take a chance, and I'm going to say that it was the it was the Kirk one that was the real one,
0: Kirsta. That was a savvy pick, because that was the real summary.
1: Yay! <laughs> okay, that's a relief, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, my trope-laden godlike being, holodeck, uh, Groundhog Day, ripping space time. That that was a completely made up one. <laughs> I,
2: I yeah.
1: Okay, what a relief.
0: <laughs> I was trying to check the box of some of my favorite parts of Star Trek. Where I was, it's like I was, random Godlock beings. They're everywhere. I don't know why. I mean, I was thinking about that one. I was like, is Joseph just cherry picking from actual episodes? Because I know they had a Groundhog Day <laughs> thing that Data was central to. Yeah.
1: Well, and um, the prevalence of Sherlock Holmes throughout Star Trek has always been pretty striking to me.
0: The character just pop. I mean, he he pops up all over pop culture.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Okay. Can I get my uh, my next
0: round? Yes, Kevin will be next. Kirsten, you're now holding a one point lead over Kevin and I.
1: This is very. The title of this book is Dreadnought, and it's important to me to tell you that there is an exclamation point uh, (laughs) after the word Dreadnought in the title.
2: I'm sorry, I need you to read the title as if it does have an exclamation point. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, not that was, you're
1: right, that was a failure on my part. Yes. The title is Dreadnought! Thank you.
0: Now, part of me wishes you'd revealed this after reading the two summaries, and it made me switch from <laughs> my deck. But I found out, oh, there's an exclamation point.
1: Oh, wait till what punctuation mark I haven't revealed to you is revealed after the summaries. Um, <laughs> it's air quotes. Okay, uh, first summary. The crew of the Enterprise must face down an intimidating capital ship they encounter in deep space. It is tactically superior to the Enterprise in every imaginable way. Their firefight lasts most of the novel until the Enterprise finds itself on the brink of annihilation. And Kirk remembers the inspiring words of the American president, FDR, whose full name is never given in the novel. Realizing that the only thing to fear is fear itself, Kirk convinces the crew to dread not... As in Fear Nothing, and this, fortunately, defeats the other vessel for reasons that are unclear. The predominant fan theory is that the vessel itself is powered by fear and was sent by the Q Continuum to test Kirk. The text in no way supports this.
0: (laughs) Oh, Kevin, you've you've somewhat fall into a trap i sometimes do in our christmas special where i I, read, I write like a buzzfeed retrospective article about something that never existed what are you talking about <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry wait maybe that one was real
1: you haven't heard you haven't heard the second summary joe okay which comes now and this is where i tell you dreadnought is in quotation marks but it's not that's a lie the exclamation point is that the quotation marks are a lie. Lieutenant Piper, who has no first name, is a promising new cadet who aces the Kobayashi Maru scenario in training and totally isn't an author self-insert character. She (laughs) is transferred to the Enterprise by special request. Shortly after being transferred to the Enterprise, Piper learns of the Star Empire, a new Dreadnought-class Federation vessel. As you would expect... The Star Empire is soon stolen by Commander Paul Birch, who needs to take the vessel to Earth in order to impose a socialist economy onto the capital of human space. (laughs) Piper, after discussing with a crewmate the merits of capitalism, disobeys a direct order from Captain Kirk and beams herself onto the Star Empire, where she manages to take the bridge and thwart the crew because they are weak socialists paralyzed by the bureaucracy.
0: Wow. Okay, I thought I knew it after the first one. <laughs> but the second one was definitely going to be real. Now I have so See, much doubt.
1: I I could make big swings on this one. I have <laughs> a golden nugget of a, a plot summary
0: here.
2: <laughs> yeah, Dreadnought. Okay,
0: Dreadnought. Is it Dreadnought or Dreadnought, Kirsten? So that's really the question right here.
2: I am going to go with number two as the real one.
0: See, if I do that, that puts Cavan into first place. Oh. <laughs> Alright, I'm, I'm going to actually ride on your coattails there. I don't know, though. I mean, Both of those were pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm going to take the second summary. Let's do it.
1: Okay, so we split the vote?
0: No, no, I'm sticking with I, I picked the same one as Kiersta, so right?
1: Oh, right, this- right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, The you're you're correct. It's the self-insert capitalist rant plot is the correct Yay! one. Yay!
2: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: You know, the intensely capitalist themes of Star Trek. Yeah, well-known. <laughs> yeah. Well-known for its capitalist
0: Famously and- what Roddenberry was pushing yeah. <laughs> in the 1960s. And- and in glove. <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: the book was written in the mid-'80s, so, I, I mean, kind of lines up there. But-
0: um, once you called it the Star Empire, I'm like, there's no way they allowed a Federation ship to be called the Star Empire. But here we are; they did. They did.
2: <laughs> okay, let's see.
0: All right, so that was uh, the end of round three. So going into our final round, I think this is still anyone's game. Kirsta is in the lead with seven points. I have six points, and Kevin has five points.
2: Okay. All out at five. This is capture the flag. Dr. Crusher is looking forward to attending a medical conference, as well as enjoying all the amenities on Chthonia, the spa planet where the conference is being held. However, when one of the featured speakers turns up dead, she realizes that this idyllic planet may have a dark secret, and Beverly could be its next victim. <clears throat> dun dun dun. <clears throat> Alright. Capture the Flag. It's Jordy LaForge's first year at Starfleet Academy, and it isn't going well. He's always picked last for competitive teams, and deep down, he just wants to be like all the other confident students. When he defeats the top-ranked team in an elimination game, Jordy wins the respect of his classmates and the hatred of the other team's captain. The captain threatens revenge, and his opportunity arrives when they are both scheduled for unsupervised training exercises on an uninhabited planet.
1: Oh, boy.
0: All right. So capture the flag. So, so here's that you may not have seen it, but I put a note that I remember reading a young reader's novel. Called "Capture the Flag" that I reread several times about a young Jordy Laforge, but I oh, don't no. remember that second half at all. That you described the first half—that's <laughs> like, what I remember. But this, that second half—could she have made up the first half at the same? <laughs> that lines up, but I literally have no no memory of that second half. But the first half it did involve like a ragtag group of misfits, like the the te- the ones that are always picked last for their teams, mm-hmm. uh, coming together with Jordy. So I I'm going to choose that that summary.
1: It does it is interesting that um I was okay. The second summary with Jordy LaForge I was worried about because we we started in a place where it's like this is too on the nose and then it quickly got into, oh, they're they're doing an Enders game thing. They they want to do the Enders game novel of Star Trek. And then it was he had to meet up with the guy on some mission toward the end. So that one actually does seem pretty feasible. So I'm I'm with Joe. I'm also gonna go Jordy LaForge capturing flags and
0: making rivalries. I'll well, if your- I had,
2: if I had seen your note, I probably would have switched <laughs> it out because you are both correct.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, that is one of the few like novels where like the title, like immediately uh, because it's so on the nose with capture yes. the flag. Like I immediately remembered something I read as a, as a teenager. And that one might even, mean, I, I think that one was targeted for like, eight to 12 year olds. So I might've even been younger. It was like the young
2: readers edition. Yeah. All right. All I got to do is get the next two right then.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you are still even after that tied for the lead. So, you know, you're definitely still in the running here. All right. A good day to die. Captain Clagg of the Klingon ship Gorkon is on his first mission to explore new territories. He encounters the warrior species called the Children of Santara. Joe, Clag- it sounds
1: like you're making fun of Star Trek fans, the way you say those Klingon names. <laughs> Captain Clag of the Gorkon. Okay, Just wait
0: for it. Wait, wait for it. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Clagg is ready to order the Klingon feet to come subjugate this species when they issue a challenge. The crew will battle individuals of the Santara one-on-one. At the end of the day, if more Santara have won, the Klingons must go and never report their discovery on their honor. If more Klingons have won, the Santara will, j- will join the Klingon Empire and Clagg can claim that he single-handedly conquered an entire species. Oh. Or is this the story of the crew of the Enterprise engaging in peace talks with a warrior race called the Motothor? These peace talks go badly when Lasada, the leader of the Motothor, stands up and orders all the Motothor to attack her. She kills two before she herself is killed. Appalled Picard's team is beamed up to the Enterprise. Nobody can make sense of this, but Worf says this reminds him of the Klingon tradition of Toloth. He takes over negotiations because he seems to have some affinity for this warrior culture. And soon a series of individual battles would determine the success of these peace talks.
1: And I go first on this one, right? Yes. Okay. Um, Yeah. uh, This one, um, this one seems pretty clear cut to me, which is a good indicator that I'm wrong. Uh, the one where it sounded like you're making fun of Star Trek nerds. Uh, that sounded like a Star Trek story with Star Trek names in it, doing Star Trekky stuff. It's it's interesting to me that they would blow a Good Day to Die title on that, but you know it could be like an epic tale from Ro- or not Romulo, uh Klingon history. So I'm going to go with the first one with Captain Clag of
0: the um... Gorkon
1: of the Gorkon. <laughs>
0: You got to have and- some hard K sounds in any Klingon <laughs> situation.
1: <laughs> Orcon, am I right?
2: <laughs> I'm going to go with the I'm going to go I'm also going to go with the first one. I, it's the more overtly Klingon title and I don't think they would have wasted a good day to die on the plot of the second one.
0: That is a good point. You are both correct.
2: Yay! Uh.
0: There is a series of novels about a Klingon captain, Klag. I think I saw 5 titles in the series.
2: Is he in the show proper? It sounds familiar. Of course, maybe they all sound familiar.
0: And they all are going to involve some some hard sounds in (laughs) their names. (laughs) So it's hard to say for me.
1: So uh, before we go into mine, which I believe is the final summary, can we see what the stakes are? What's the score at right now?
0: Well, right now, Kirsta has eight points. I have seven points. And Kevin, you have seven points. So
1: this is anyone's game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Things could happen to allow any of us to win.
1: So for me to win, both of you have to be directed to my, my distractor.
0: If I pick the same as Kirsta, oh well, okay, she's she would be beating me by one point, but if we're both wrong, you would win. Ooh, so okay, there's a lot of game theory here.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so from her, so if so is- if
2: I split the vote, I can guarantee I can't guarantee that I win, but I can guarantee that Kevin loses.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. With a split vote, the best. And if you split
1: the vote, you tie. Like it's the only way for me to win is if you two vote together on the wrong one.
0: But for me to win, I have to split and choose the correct one. Oh man. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear it. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna put all that aside, and I'm just gonna go with my gut. I'm gonna make a choice before I hear what is saying, and I'll, I'll be ready to go.
1: Okay. Okay. Should we call this a lightning round and have it worth six points?
2: No.
0: (laughs)
1: Okay, the title of my novel, Killing Time, and the correct and actual summary is (laughs) During a conflict with Romulans, Captain Kirk goes to sleep and awakes as Ensign Kirk on the VSS Shikar, which appears to otherwise be the Enterprise. The Ensign Enzyme, not Enzyme. Enzen <laughs> is a drug-addled ex-convict who has been on board for only a day. The Romulans had attempted to travel back in time and destroy the Federation, but they instead created a Federation dominated by Vulcans. Captain Spock begins to act protectively of Ensign Kirk, but the captain is entered on an away mission. After Dr. McCoy conducts a series of mental scans, the crew of the Shikar realize that history has been altered. The Romulans plot to use Kirk to force Spock to impersonate their leader. I'll read that sentence for you. <laughs> the Romulans plot to use Kirk to force Spock to impersonate their leader. <laughs> Spock mind melds with Kirk, each realizing their personas from the main timeline. Romulan agents board the Shikar and capture Kirk. Spock agrees to their demands and travels with them. will root. Spock enters Pondfar and finds that he is linked to Kirk, but mates with the Romulan Thea to allow it to pass. They travel back in time to fix the timeline, but Spock is seriously injured and dying. Kirk and Spock mind meld as reality shifts once more and restores the original timeline. But the actual correct summary is this one. A standout novel in the franchise, Killing Time is an in-depth exploration of faster-than-light travel from the point of view of a photon torpedo. Photon torpedoes, of course, move at sublight speed, but the point-of-view character, a torpedo that spends 20 pages ruminating about the fact that it doesn't have a name, watches the Enterprise go to warp speed and is confused by this denial of the laws of physics. In a 50-page interlude written entirely in a series of haiku, we get a detailed backstory of Pavel Chekhov. It is unrelated to the plot and most likely was an editing error. (laughs) The book then takes us into the far future. The IFF tracker and internal kill switch in the nameless torpedo have both malfunctioned, and the fully potent payload crashes into an inhabited planet 200 billion years later. This was meant to start a new series of novels and TV shows about the war that resulted from this but as the book only sold 6 copies this movie <laughs> pilot never achieved its aim.
2: This is this is like Jorge Luis Borges writes a writes a Star Trek novel. <laughs> oh my gosh, can we do that for for something new like like write a Star Trek like a, write a Star Trek summary in the style of another like if a famous author wrote a Star Trek summary? Star I mean, Kevin,
0: are you in? <laughs> sure.
2: Yes, and yes. We can mix it
0: up. It could be a Star Wars novel, Star Trek novel, a Buffy right. novel.
2: Right. Any novel. Oh, my goodness. You have may have All birthed right. a new game. Okay. Um, so good luck, champions. Yeah. 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 We're not going to get this. Um, okay. <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to choose. Joseph, do you know what you're going to choose?
0: Yes. I'm locked in.
2: Okay. I am going to go as much as I appreciated number two. I am going to go with number one.
0: I'm with number one. See, I was so fast. You knew yeah. I was not just riding her coattails. That was my choice.
1: Stunningly, that is the correct summary.
2: <laughs> Mind All you, right. I'd, I'd rather read the second one. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> Our, our final tally: Kirsta has nine points, I have eight points, and Kevin has seven points. So very close. It was not a blowout by any means, but Kirsta is our champion. Congratulations. Yay! It's all no, because I have to say, Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kirsta. I
2: say, I, it's it's all because I did it all for the QZs. The QZs need justice.
0: <laughs> oh, this is a comeback because you really put yourself in a hole with a fun spoof title. That uh, I, oh, I guess Kevin followed you down that yeah. path at the yeah. end, <laughs> but. <laughs> but uh yeah quite quite the comeback so in in writing these summaries and then also listening to yours i realized something odd about star trek Mm -hmm. which is that i think a lot of fans like say well not like Star Wars, which is the space fantasy. Like Star Trek is is a harder science fiction, but so many of our plot summaries involved godlike beings, alternate dimensions bleeding into ours, body swapping, <laughs> uh, the the holodeck or holosuite just going crazy for no reason. I I, I think there's a lot of uh, soft sci-fi in in Star Trek.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think it's some of our favorite elements too. Is like just the absurd holodeck stories. I love those. Whatever. Right. Like any right. time anyone's going into a holodeck at the beginning of a Star Trek episode, I'm like here we go, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's have some fun. This, this is going to yeah. go crazy. Is there
2: <laughs> is there any episode in which someone uses a holodeck and then like it's just fine, like it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the episode. It doesn't. I should I should figure that out. Um, I I remember I had the Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, like the like the. It was, it was like, like Reader's Companion or something. It was basically Memory Alpha, but but not as good. Um, and it had like summaries of all the episodes. And at one point, I actually sat down and counted how many episodes hinged on the holodeck malfunctioning. And it was something like one in 20. So a full 5% <laughs> of all episodes. Had and to that was the at the least holiday-
0: one per season, but more than one per season. So that yeah, at least yeah. one season had two episodes that were holodeck centric, right?
2: And around 5% of the episodes were driven by something going wrong with data. And then, of course, there is a fistful of datas, the episode in which something goes wrong with data, and the holodeck.
1: Whoa.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on and uh, playing this. Uh, Before we wrap up, uh, for both of you, do you have a favorite Star Trek series? that I, I'm just curious after hearing some fun summaries and having a chance to kind of make up, uh, you know, very loosely play in the sandbox of the Star Trek universe. Do you have any favorite Star Trek series or stories that stand out to you? A
2: uh, series as in, as in TV series.
0: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, just open-ended question. What do you like about Star Trek?
2: I grew up on next gen like that. That's definitely my Star Trek. All other Star Treks are sort of compared with that. Um, I so that's that's you know where I live and I and I I realized I like the ones where um, where no one knows what's going on where the whole episode is trying to figure out what on earth has happened so like remember me with Doctor Crusher where people keep disappearing from the universe or um, or I think it's cause and effect where they keep going into the time loop or um, I can't remember the name of the episode but the one where the one where they think they were out for like 30 seconds, but they're actually out for a day and then they reset their memory, but data isn't reset. And so clues, I think that's clues. Yeah. So just the ones where like, you know, they're, they're not in obvious immediate danger usually until the very well, except for, except for cause and effect, but, but they're not usually in, in immediate danger. It's just like weird stuff starts happening and they have to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, I think my least favorite ones are the ones that have to do with Klingon politics. Cause I just don't care. <laughs>
0: Mm. <laughs> it does seem like if you start to try and work through the klingon culture you start to wonder how this became a spacefaring technologically advanced <laughs> species. it's,
2: it's real true. unsustainable <laughs>
0: <laughs> the snippets we get don't lend themselves towards scientific inquiry
2: no i saw i saw some like um it was like a web comic or something that was talking about like not just the, the monocultures in, in kind of um, space opera, sci-fi, but also like the monoculture of profession, like, you know, and I think, that, I think the example they showed was like, where are the Klingon party planners? You know, surely one of these people has to exist, but no, they are all warriors. Yeah, no scientists, no, you know.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, people, like, an entire race can only be one thing <laughs> in sci-fi. You know, yeah. they're bounty hunters, or they're warriors, or or they're, they're spa people, right, right? It's a spa planet, or they're <laughs> a <lot of> spa <laughs> workers. Yes. <laughs> well, when you did this one summary of of like the spa planet, I was like, "Yep, I've seen that episode more than yes. once." <laughs> 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 Kevin, what about you?
1: Uh, for me, I think Star Trek's at its best when they're making uh, tough moral choices. I love that in in just fiction in general and um star trek often i don't know if i dare say usually but often um doesn't back away from the consequences of that um i think a good example of that is the voyager episode 2 vix um where Mm -hmm. janeway basically essentially kills this person to save two other lives um and then i'm also a tng fanboy um i i was a late arrival to star trek uh I first watched TOS in college and I would watch it uniformly after 11 p.m., which is the best way to watch TOS. Um, I tried rewatching it on my lunch breaks a couple years ago and that doesn't work as well. It's not a great show when you're fully awake. Um, But uh, the season three finale of TNG where they're facing down the Borg um, and particularly the moment where Riker says, fire and I'm like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh ah." and like that's just good TV like if I wanted to sell someone on Star Trek admittedly it doesn't get into the moral quandary part of Star Trek but the the space opera drama and the ship to ship combat and it's just I don't know I like it I like it
2: I think there's a moral quandary in there because because it's, it's about Picard or it's about Riker Riker is giving up hope that Picard will come back yeah yeah. So I think and, and maybe it's not, you know, explicitly explored, but um but no, I think there's absolutely an ethical choice there. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, great I'm episode. Sure. Well
1: and that and that character moment for Riker is just yeah. one of my favorite decisions any character ever makes in fiction. It's a really cool moment.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I don't think there's any geek shame happening on here, but is that episode titled Best of Both Worlds? I'm trying to remember. I don't actually remember. Let me
2: know Um that. I think so.
0: Sometimes you feel embarrassed to like know that level of detail about something, but I think we're all geeks here.
1: <laughs> uh, well, let me just check my memory um, that, uh, yeah, check the
0: recesses of your mind there real quick.. Little little clicks exactly.
1: uh, yes, best of both worlds. So actually, well done.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> See, my my first Star Trek was VHS recordings of a uh, marathon on Fox of the original <laughs> series. Nice, And I still remember the commercials that were in some of those episodes <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: um, because as a child of the 80s, like there's a period where like you have five VHSs and that's, <laughs> that's what you get to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and, and say- it, it,
0: it was the EP recording of Star Trek, the original series right. marathon on Fox, <laughs> six hours straight through. Um, um, so I have a fondness for the original series. And then. I remember like knowing the next generation was a thing, but like, I wasn't able to really watch it until it was already going, but I was there when deep space nine was starting. I'm like, okay, this is going to be my Star Trek Cause I can watch it from episode one and like be mm-hmm. along for the whole journey. Um, and, and so that, like, I, I love all those series. And then by the time discover or uh, Voyager was happening, I was kind of like, I, I just didn't, wasn't able to catch it all. Like I watched a bunch of the first episodes, but I was already missing some. And I I guess I had enough of a completionist mindset that like once I missed a few, it's like, well, I'm just going to have to wait until (laughs) I can watch it all. And I've never actually fully gone back and done it. And the newer stuff I haven't really fully engaged with. So I still, I guess I have like those first three series are more of my Star Trek, but I know there's like so much, it's still going on. There's, there's constantly new stuff being made. And I do need to go at the very least. I need to go check out the Picard series.
1: Have you watched the Orville?
0: I have not. I've heard that is one of the best Star Trek series. That is not Star Trek, of course. Much like Galaxy yeah. Quest is one of the best Star Trek films. Yes, yeah,
1: that's yeah. I, the Orville is my favorite Trek show on TV right now. That's right. I'm controversial.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hot well, from some of what I've seen, that's not the hottest of hot takes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I I will say one of the things I kind of like about some of the earlier, so TOS and TNG is that, um, is that the stories really are standalone. And sometimes I like to just have a self-contained story, even though, um, even though you can look at that as a flaw. I mean, certainly in terms of TV in general, we've kind of moved away from that or, or at least what's considered good TV now is, is very much not standalone. It's, it it tends to be much more, you know, these longer arcs. Um, But sometimes I just want like, I just want, you know, a sort of one short story that presents one idea that I get to, like, s- stop and think about for a little while. Um, and, and I tend to and sometimes I kind of lose patience with the, you know, with the sort of protracted deep. Like, I have plenty of friends who really love Deep Space Nine and I respect their opinion. But Deep Space Nine is just not my show because it's sort of like my it, it, it's just it's just a lot more. um almost soapy you know it's just all about the the personal drama of everyone it, and, and it
0: becomes fully serialized instead of episodic right right
2: um and there there certainly are some very good deep space nine episodes but in terms of like the, the episodes that are considered the best episodes are generally not standalone ones they're generally like a culmination of something that's been building for a while and sometimes i just want to like snip you know just have one thing and think about it by itself
0: yeah, I can see that. Um, and, and like TV in general has shifted much more towards that serialized storytelling, and whereas like the original series, it's like they, they learn a lesson at the end, end of the episode. We all we've all learned it, and they have completely forgotten it. Two episodes later, <laughs> which very similar is happening. And yeah. No one yeah. remembers.
2: <laughs> yeah. Although on on the flip side, I'm I'm going through um I'm going through again the the mission log podcast. I'm going through the TNG episodes again, and I've become very depressed with the romantic lives of everyone on Next Gen. Like. <laughs> They, none of them can ever find, you know, if they fall in love, it's always someone they've known for two days, because that's how long they've been at a star base. Like, you can't have a long-term relationship with anyone. Um, and if you, anytime you try to make a relationship work, it just, you know, it just, it falls apart by the end of the episode. Um, and so I do sort of feel sorry for that group of of. people who can't you know like doesn't long distance dating exist like can't they you know send each other subspace messages and and sort of work on this thing for a while but no it always has to you know end catastrophically or 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 emotionally tragically by the end of the episode so um so that's a bit of a downer
0: i do remember (laughs) on the mission lock summary started realizing jordy's kind of got a sad personal (laughs) life.
2: Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't think he was written that way intentionally, but man, did he just kind of fall into that over and over again. Yeah, um, and he started
0: that focused on him, ended up being like, oh, Jordy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That uh, when he meets the scientist, that he's had a romantic love affair with her holographic version.
2: Yeah.
1: That's one of the cringiest. Just okay, really... but
2: do you do you do you want to know the cringiest follow up to that? So he's in love with her because he met her on the holodeck. It's always the holodeck, and then it turns out she's married, right? Uh-huh. Okay, but do you, did you did you ever catch the reference to that in the very last in the All Good Things episode? Uh you'll have to remind me. It's been years. He, yeah, can't believe you don't remember this very specific line. One <laughs> single line, of one single episode of Star Trek. Um, no, he he. When he's in the future, future Jordy and, or, and future Picard are talking. Jordy mentioned Leah as like his wife or something, and so either he married someone else named Leah, or they got together after her whatever something happened oh, with her. Boy. I don't like
0: either. <laughs> <about her. laughs> I don't like the thought of what Jordy did to her husband.
2: <laughs> oh, and like <laughs> I, you know, I if she hadn't been married I wouldn't have minded a future in which you know somehow things worked out or something I and mean, if if you had if you had the like I fell in love with the holodeck and then it was different and then it was awkward and then like someday in the future things worked out like I'd be okay with that but but like I, I think they just wanted to give him I, my guess is that they just wanted to give him some kind of happiness in life or some reference to some sort of domestic bliss and then they you know instead of coming up with a brand new name, decided to reference someone that he maybe had the best relationship with, meaning the holodeck character, not the real person. Maybe no. he married the holodeck character.
0: This is not getting less awkward as we think about it more.
2: <laughs> maybe he married the Enterprise computer.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a romance for the ages.
2: Honestly, I think it would have been more successful than his other romances. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see an interesting episode about that. all right we have rewritten an episode of star trek we did it
0: (laughs) yes we start with novels now we're we're back to the episodes themselves okay Uh all right well thank you both for joining us and thank you listeners for downloading this episode for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank nick english who designed our logo and scott tofty who post our theme music you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com thank you again for listening we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long
2: bye-bye all right let's see this is the one this is the one i was still doing edit edits on last so i need to just double check that this actually makes any sense